0: Welcome to the Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is Michael Bourne. Michael is the author of Blythedale Canyon. He's a longtime contributing editor at Poet and Writers Magazine, and he's written for the New York Times, The Globe and Mail, The Economist, Literary Hub, and Salon. His fiction has appeared in more than a dozen literary magazines, including most recently December... The Southampton Review and Tin House. Blythedale Canyon is his first novel. He grew up in Northern California and now lives in Vancouver, Canada with his wife and son. In today's conversation, we'll be talking about the reality of transitioning from being a published short story writer to a published novelist, both from the creative aspect and the business side of it. Welcome to the show, Michael.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: I am really excited to have you here because this month is Celebrate Short Fiction Day on the 21st. So from your background of being a short story writer, you were an excellent fit. But I also think, too, because um, you have such a good background, not only from the writing end of it, but also from the business side, the marketing side, which I think a lot of authors, especially new authors, will find very useful. So, but let's start first with your transition from being a short story writer to becoming a novelist. Over the years, your short stories have appeared, as I mentioned, in more than a dozen literary magazines, but with Blythedale Canyon, you made the shift to novelist. What led you to try that form?
1: So, we, which form the the novel or the or the short stories?
0: Uh, going from being a, a short story writer to being a novelist why why take the chance of moving out of your comfort zone where you've established yourself?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, um, the the uh, short stories I, I'm more comfortable as a novelist, which is not to say that I was more successful as a novelist, um, but I, you know the. Short stories, I started writing short stories um, because, you know, my mother, um, who was a writer also, um, and published a lot of short stories. Um, we actually, to plug my mother, she's now passed. Um, we published a, a, uh, a posthumous book of short stories of hers called Somewhere the Phone is Ringing. We published that this year. She wrote 37 short stories in the last decade of her life in her, in her 80s. Um, anyway, she once said to me, she said, you know, you, to, to write a full length work, you have to have the full length life. Um, and I think there's something really to that. When I was young, I, well, what was I going to write about? Um, so I started writing short stories because, you know, I couldn't make I couldn't get a novel to work. Um, so I, you know, I came to the short story form most, mostly because that was what worked for me. Um, I don't know that I ever really was a natural short story writer. Um, I think, you know, I did publish those stories. um, But almost every one of them was at one point way longer. Inappropriately so, um, failingly so, but it was way, way longer. And I sort of learned to cut it down. So I think like a lot of writers, I was cutting my teeth with short fiction, learning how to write a scene learning how to build a character uh, and to build a world a little bit. Um, And then every now and then I would come up with something um, that was publishable in itself. Um, But uh, the transition for me was not like getting out of my lane so much as finally figuring out how to do the thing I've been trying to do all along and failing at endlessly. Um, so I think that's I think if I'm if I'm being honest um short fiction was a form I had to teach myself um but I was never natural at
0: it. Oh that that is really interesting because for me it was for me the short stories were very natural to write and then moving into writing novels I realized wow you got to put a lot a lot more in you know you can't just stop at 7200 words and call it a novel you know it doesn't work that way so that is um that's that's really interesting and and what you said about uh learning especially about building a scene because if you think about a novel a novel is i mean besides the plot the theme blah 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 it is a series of scenes You know, read it together is the story.
1: Right, exactly. And and that's and, you know, I I have this thing going back many, many, many years um, that I sort of learned and the word is lapidary, um, like stone building, like building a a stone wall. Um, uh, My writing was lapidary. I started off, you know, like working on sentences um and then it was uh scenes and then it was you know small stories and and then slowly but surely building up so you know yeah for a long long time i was just trying to write a scene that made sense um uh and and that and then and then uh you know to tell a story that moved that had an arc right um I was. I I don't understand why. I don't think of myself as an extraordinarily stupid person, Um, but for whatever reason, I had to learn every one of these things by this process of endless repetition and failure. And and maybe this is everyone, and I just did a little slower than everybody else. Um, But it felt in my in my own process like a unique form of stupidity. Um, You know, like I cannot figure out why I can read it. I can see somebody else do it. Like, oh, it seems so obvious, and then I can't do it. Um, Or I think I did it and then somebody else reads it and no, I didn't do it Um, uh, for the longest time. Um, So that was what, you know, and so, you know, the first stories I published were quite short um, and were really much more in the line of an anecdote almost or a character study. And then slowly but surely over time, they they had more shape to them. Um, and I think, so in the sense that, you know, I was all along trying to go for novels, um, but there was a transition, um, in the sense that I wasn't able to get beyond 15, 20 pages because it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the arc was just like this really short thing.
0: hmm Well, let's talk about that novel and we'll start with what a lot of, of authors dread giving, which is the elevator speech about it. What is the novel about? So
1: uh, sure, uh, it is, It is, and this is not a thing I'm good at, but um, so yeah, the Blythedale Canyon is a novel about a guy, Trent Wolfer, who has blown it in every possible way. Um, he was a baseball star as a kid, went off to college on a scholarship, blew the scholarship, uh dropped out of college he's a drug addict and an alcoholic he ends up working at a at a uh liquor store um and then commits a series of uh crimes um and is bailed out by his mother's wealthy second husband and so at the beginning of the novel he's gone home he's living with his mother and this second husband who he hates and working in his hometown in a um a fast food joint and one day and he's trying to stay sober and not doing a very good job of it, trying to stay clean. He can't do it. And one day he looks up from his register at the fast food joint and he sees this woman um, who he went to high school with, who he was half in love with and she has two small children and no wedding ring. Um, And it's a love story. Um, can he uh fix himself before he blows up this person's life who he loves that's wow. another
0: one wow so where, where did the idea come from because some of the reviewers have described this character as deeply flawed or a man who can't control his worst impulses did you basically make him up out of whole cloth was he based on someone you knew or something along those lines where where did this where did this guy originate from well
1: i i need to say clearly this is fiction um it's not autobiographical but um i do also know more about drug addiction and alcoholism than i would like to put it that way um and so there is um and it's set in my hometown mill valley Um, And I never went back and I never committed any felonies and, you know, none of that. Um, And my mother never remarried a rich guy, anything like that. Um, But uh, there is an emotional element of this. That's very the sort of the sense of failure um, and the sense of of lostness is very much emotionally true. But the the honest truth is that um, I spent a lot of a lot of years of my life sitting in church basements listening to people talk about drug addiction and alcoholism um and so there's a part of this story that is that is emotionally autobiographical but there's also a part of it that's really reported um of me sitting there and just listening to people talk year after year after year about um about what it feels like and i i found that that was really interesting and the thing that interested me um was that again sitting in those church basements do you people are wonderfully vulnerable in a way that they're not in in regular life. And what you hear is that there are a lot of really decent people, good people who do terrible things, destructive, self-destructive, destructive destructive to others, all the rest of it. And that was what was interesting to me. I don't think Trent Wolfer, I I mean, I don't disagree with the reviewers who are saying that he is deeply flawed, Um, uh, but he is not a bad person. He is actually a very good person. He really is trying to do the right thing and to be a good person and be somebody that somebody can, and he can't. And I wanted to write a story about a guy who is trying to be this person who he would respect and keeps failing. And how does that work? How does he learn how to be somebody better? Mm Um, that to me seemed like a good theme for a book.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it also illustrates that, uh, people it's not a black and white issue it's not you're you're a bad person you're a good person good people can do bad things inadvertently or because of because of some issue that they have that they can't control so it's um it seems like a an instructive kind of book in a way you know for the people who haven't had that experience it's like let's take a look at what what would drive somebody
1: yeah I cannot tell you um, how many times I have heard the line from from a woman reader saying I dated this guy um or you know my cousin is this way or if they're older it's like my nephew is struggling with this I mean it's so it's so universal um and um, you know at this point now I think we're much more open about talking about, Uh, drug addiction and alcoholism and um and you know once people are willing to talk about it it's 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 just everywhere um and 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 what i think they're saying without saying it is i love this person um uh and and then there's this wall that that gets put up between us um that i can't love them and how do i do that um and that's really what I what I was trying to do was to show what's was behind that veneer of awfulness. Um, and you know what I, I need to be clear, what Trent does is he doesn't kill anybody. It's not it's not like he's that awful. Um, but um, but he is he's mostly self-destructive. But he's also, you know, there's a lot of collateral damage in self-destructive people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to get you a sense of like what's going on in his head.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we touched a little bit about this uh, earlier, but uh, about your writing process, you talked about how writing short stories has, you know, was sort of like your, I don't know, apprenticeship, if that would yeah, be a fair thing of saying it was your apprenticeship. So and and that you would get to a certain point and then you Or kind of hitting a wall in terms of the story. So that kind of leads me to ask you, although I suspect I know the answer, are you a plotter or are you a pantser?
1: (laughs) I I think you do already know. Um, Yeah, no, (laughs) definitely uh, by the seat of the pants um, all the way. Um, uh, I I wish I wasn't, uh, honestly. I'm getting a little bit better at that um but uh yeah i you know they i i write from impulse um you know there'll be a scene it'll be a sort of a hot scene um that then um you know requires world building around a character building to make that scene make sense and then the causes the next thing causes the next thing causes the next thing i am learning now that i'm i'm writing another i've just finished another novel um that it's, there's there's a there's there's a an end to that utility of that, um, where it becomes uh, self-destructive. You you, you, know, you end up going down a lot of wrong paths or wasting a lot of the reader's time. Um, and um, I'm getting better at seeing around the curve, seeing around the bend, as it were. Um, going, okay, if I'm going to go down there, I got to do something about that um, before I commit myself. I need to understand where I'm going. So I'm getting a little bit better. Um, but it's still I kind of distrust all that. So I, you know, there it is.
0: I I know. I, I tend to be more certainly with my short stories, I tended always to be more of a pantser. I mean, sometimes I was surprised when I would get through to the end of the first draft of a short story and say, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, oh, um sure. I I I will I will have a better sense of the character but um sometimes events that occur and i don't know if you if you've had this experience with your short stories where you know i might do the first draft and pretty much you sort of have everything kind of laid out you know how it's going to end because you just finished it but then as you start going back through little either conversations or events Work their way into the story that weren't there originally, that add more dimension or make things a little clearer as to why this person did something or why they're damaged. Um, you know, I'm. I mean, I'm. I am in awe of the authors, uh, especially the novelist who can sit there and do the like Elizabeth George's one, very detailed plot. You know, has it all outlined very detailed character study. I mean, probably everything down to, you know, what, what they'd like to eat for breakfast or whatever. I'm totally in awe of that, but I can't do that. I, I, for me to sit there and spend all that time, um, I think it would burn me out the story itself then it's like well i don't feel like writing it now it's kind of like i've read the cliff notes of the story you know (laughs) why write it i already know you know i i want to be surprised i Mm -hmm. want to learn as i'm writing Do you have that same experience
1: yeah no absolutely yeah and and very much so i mean at the end of of, of blightdale canyon i'm not going to say what the the but the the end of blightdale canyon surprised me and there was this moment i'm sure you've had this experience of going I'm writing along and going, Oh, that's what happens. Um, and I wasn't there yet, you know, but I was like, Oh, of course. Um, what was fun. And I think, um, it is the joy of the writing is that it was there all along. Um, and and I had in some dreamlike way set it up. Um, and it was only, you know, months later, um, that i realized where i was going um, but it was there it was obvious and once it happened and i i think that's you know i, I do think that the the last the last sections of plethokano are successful because um, i think the reader is in the same that's what you want that sense of inevitability like once it happens you didn't see it coming maybe um, but once it happens you're like well obviously um that's kind of and that 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 is nice when it happens
0: oh absolutely and because there's there's uh not only like an honesty to it but a almost like an accuracy or that's not really a good word for it but you can't imagine if you've done it right whether whether you set it up way in advance or it just sort of happened along the way organically. You can't imagine it being any other way. You can't imagine it ending any other way. You can't imagine the character behaving any other way, which makes the character real, you
1: mm-hmm. know? Right. It, yeah. It's the Aristotelian inevitability. Yeah. And th- and that's what you're, that's you aiming for. And um, yeah. And, and I think that that's, um, some of it is, is experience in writing a lot of stories and sort of having a sense of how stories work. Some of it, I think, is also just growing older and, and having a better sense of how people work. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I wasn't having those sort of epiphanic moments um, earlier on in writing that, you know, the, the, the endings were kind of manufactured. Uh, <laughs> it, it must end somewhere. Um, uh so yeah, I, I I do think that that's and that's when you know you're onto it, right? I am it's like yes, this works.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the publishing side of it. Now sure. you know, people can self-publish. They can do their best to get a big press, um, a big publisher, you know, a major one, or they can uh, end up how you went for a small press with basically no advance um why did you make that decision or or was it made for you
1: it was made for me in the case of black canyon um uh it so uh i sent it out to uh, you know I, I don't know but you know dozens of agents um i came you know painfully and i do mean actually painfully it was painful um painfully close with probably half a dozen um a good number um over a period of maybe a year um and the the conversations went remarkably uh you know along the same line but the point i by the end of it i could have scripted it um it was sort of something like and whether it was on paper it was on email or in some cases i talked to them on phone Um, It was always, well, this is a really good novel. Uh, I really enjoyed writing it and reading it. Um, But who is, who's the audience? Who's going to, who's going to buy this? It's, it's this love story um, about a guy who, particularly in the opening pages is kind of repugnant um, and difficult to deal with. Um, And, and like, you know, and it doesn't have some big, you know, Supremacy plotty thing. There's no, you know, vampires or whatever. Um, so who's gonna buy this? Um, and it was really it was a marketing thing. Um, you know, how are we going to sell this? Where's it gonna where's it gonna go in the store? And how are we gonna get it into book clubs? It just ain't gonna happen. Um, and basically unstated, I thought, or sometimes actually stated, was look, the readership for this kind of novel is women, and they're not gonna love your character. Um, so where are we with this? Right. Um, and, I, you know, I try to make the argument uh, with them, with the one that I made with you, which is, that, which was totally true, which is that I think a lot of women dated this guy. Um, and that was the marketing campaign I had in mind. Um, uh, but anyway, they, they were not willing to go down that road. And so, uh, so I finally just said, okay, then that's not going to happen. And what was interesting was then I, I switched to indie presses um, and there you submit directly without an agent and sold it almost immediately. Um, and the conversation was really different. Um, the conversation was much more about the book and much less about the marketing of the book. Um, and that's just the difference in their business models, um, uh, and how they do business. And so, uh, it was a much more, that uh, was really nice, but as you say, I, I, you know, I didn't make any money. on it. Um, uh, I would have made a lot more money with a, with a larger press, and I would have had a lot, much larger distribution. Um, uh, but, you know, you work with what you can. Uh, I'm really pleased with Regal House. They, they, they got my book out. It looks nice. Um, and, um, you know, what else can you ask for?
0: Just out of curiosity, do you have any sense of who's reading the book now? Is it more uh, male readers or female readers?
1: Oh, definitely female. Um, definitely female. I mean, you know, to be honest, one of the things I didn't see coming, um, and this is, has something to do with the, the lack of distribution, right? That I can't get it into a lot of different bookstores, but the, a lot of the readership, um, has been from people in, in and around my hometown. Um, Who really recognize the town? It's it's we've talked mostly because you're not from Mill Valley and you don't care about all this stuff. We've talked mostly about the character and the love story and all the rest of it. There's another big side of the book, which is it's set in this, it's set in my hometown, Mill Valley, California, and it's really kind of a love letter to that town. Uh, and the poison pen love letter. I mean, there's some things that he says about it that are not so perfect because it's not perfect. But um, but it's it's really about that town. So I think a lot a lot of people um, have have read it for that. It's so familiar to them, and somebody's finally telling the truth um, about a place they know and they really like that. Um, I got a note just the other day, just a couple of days ago, from a guy lifelong. He actually lived in Blighty Canyon. Uh, had a band actually called Bite Canyon um which is why I picked up the book and um but he's like you know this totally nails it you got it man this is exactly what this town is like um so that's been a big readership but as i say I, it it you know for the people who aren't reading it because it's Bethlehem town um it has been the readership is fiction is read by women that's really really true um and so the readership has been largely women and I've certainly had the response of women saying, you know, I just couldn't get past who he is in the opening pages. It's just, it's just a trigger. Right. Um, But then I've also had a lot of women who said, you know, I I was tough in the first couple of pages. um, But, but then, you know, I stuck with it and, and I dated that guy. I, you know, that's, it's real. Um, And um, I've had some really, really passionate readers um, who are really behind it either because they themselves suffer with that drug addiction and, and alcoholism they know somebody who did it's just real to
0: them mm-hmm. and and like you said because it is so common drug addiction drug addiction alcoholism um, that whole idea the whole problem of it because it is so common it can be a good book for someone to read if if they are involved with somebody or if mm-hmm. they have a family, you know, a, a family member who's got that issue, because it does give them more of an insight, you know, again. It's yeah, no, I, a I sort of I
1: jokingly called it the user's manual for the for the, the girlfriend of an alcoholic. Right. I mean, like, you know, here's what's going on. I know it seems to make no sense, but here's what's going on. It does make sense. It's not it's not logic, but there's a logic to it. Um, yeah. Um, and I've definitely had that response. And that's been really, really uh, gratifying um, uh, to uh, to hear that that that, that nails it.
0: Uh, one of the things that, that struck me when you were talking about the difference in talking with agents who would obviously be trying to sell a, a book to a major publisher and then talking directly to an indie press is... Again, you know, the marketability versus versus the actual story. Okay, the, the value of the story or or whatever from that. Because obviously, if you had wrote written a lousy book, no one's going to publish it because they're not going to make any money out of it. I don't care, you know, indie press, whatever. So, but it is the idea that um that that I think that is a problem when when somebody is whether they're working on on the book now or they're ready to figure out how to publish it they're like well you know I I want that big advance I want that money you know and then they try to pitch it and it's going nowhere and then you know you're basically left with two other avenues an indie press or you publish it yourself you know through what uh, whichever mechanism you want to choose. Um, so what, from your perspective, especially because you cover publishing for Poets and Writers Magazine, you've got this broad, broader understanding, um, When, when an author is ready to choose, do we go with plan A, plan B, or plan C, you know, traditional, big, traditional indie, or do it DIY? Basically, what what are some of the things they should keep in mind? How should they weigh the option? Always assuming that they have the option of A, B, or C.
1: Right. I mean, I think some of it it depends on some how much time and how much frustration you're willing to put up with. Um, you know that if you if you are you know willing to be rejected a lot. Um, uh, then I think you know you owe it to yourself to give agents a try. I, I do think I, one of the things that you know I, agents are always in a sort of defensive crouch and same with, same with people in, in, in mainstream publishing because people are so angry at them for not for rejecting their work. And I think that that's one of the things that the advantage that I have, Um, working at Poets and Writers, uh, you know, it it does not confirm me as you can tell. I mean, like, if it was, if it was like, if that was a way to get, if it was all about who you know, I would be a famous author, right? I mean, you know, I know all these people. It doesn't seem to help me. That's, they're actually picking books that they think will work. Um, Is to understand their that they're in business. They actually have to sell books. Um, and if they don't sell books, they're not in business anymore. It's not about you and it's not that they're morons. They're all people who are, people who are agents um, and, and editors at big presses. These are extraordinarily smart people who have worked very, very hard to get where they are and could be making a lot more money in doing something else. I mean, agents are, are readers who have this, the sales gene, right? They can sell stuff. Um, and if they were to go into real estate, they were going to go into whatever. They would make a lot more money. So they're 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 giving up a lot to work in fiction because they love it. Um, so they love books, and they're trying to make they're trying to make your book work. It, but it's it's you know like when I described with Blithedale Canyon. I, I I found that frustrating, but I did understand their logic. Women do read books. That's who the audience is. If this isn't going to appeal to them, how are you going to sell it? You can't make people read people, things they don't want to read. Um, so I, I think that's the first thing is to recognize that it, they're in business. They've got to they've got to make They really are thinking about marketing. And that's not stupid. It's their business. Um, and if your book isn't right for that, it's not because it's a lousy book. It's because it isn't right for that. Um, and, and not take it personally as some sort of comment on you or your talent. It's like, can we sell this book? No. Okay, then no. Right? Um, and then, so, you know, I definitely think that if you have the time and you're willing to put up with a rejection, start with agents. Start with a lot of them. Do some research. Figure out who does. People don't understand that agents um, don't just represent any old kind of book. They have specialties. So you really do need to go to your bookshelf, look for the authors that you love and look for the the, go to the acknowledgments page and see when they acknowledge their agent, because that's going to be the person who's most likely to take on your book. Um, Look up, go online. Almost every author website will name their agent. Start querying those people. Um, So do that. Um, but then if that doesn't work, don't take it personally. Go on to to indie presses. You're not going to make this much money. The distribution will not be as large. Um, you're going to do much, much more of the marketing yourself. Um, although, honestly, unless you're, um, you know, top of the list uh, for a mainstream publisher, you're going to be doing most of the marketing publicity yourself anyway. So it's not that different there. Um, uh, and... What a mainstream press, a mainstream press can do two things for you that really are important. One is it will pay you, that matters. Um, The other is it has distribution. It can get you into bookstores and it can get you, they can market your book, particularly if there's some, if they see some signs of reader interest, they can start ramping that up. If the book is actually going to find an audience, they will find that audience. Um, And a small press just doesn't have the horsepower to do that. Um they're they every now and then they'll get lucky, um, but they they don't have the marketing muscle, they don't have the publicity muscle, they don't have the distribution to get you into bookstores or very many of them. Um, and then hybrid um is becoming a new option. I think it needs to be clear. I just wrote a piece about this um in the September issue, I think, of the of Poets and Writers about hybrids. Um you should check out that piece. Um basically <clears throat> hybrids are a rebrand um, of uh, the old school um, Vanity Press. Um, the The technical difference is a hybrid is hybrid because it is taking a piece of your um, uh, royalties, um, whereas an old school Vanity Press takes none of your royalties. You get 100% of it. You just pay. It's a fee for service. Hybrids, you're paying them. And then they're taking a piece of the back end, which in theory makes them have the same incentive as you. That's their that's their pitch. And there's some truth to that. They didn't. They do tend to do a little bit better work. Um, But at the end of the day, they've made their money before your book is out. Um, And anything that you can earn them is kind of great for them. So it's it's mostly it's mostly a fee for service, though. There are some there are some advantages to it
0: mm-hmm uh, and one of the things that you did mention is uh, the book marketing end of it, which I think uh, a lot of of people who are new to the whole author idea, they automatically assume if they go with their traditional publisher, oh, they'll do everything I can just sit back um And like you said, you know, no matter how you're published, it it's still basically gonna fall on you. So just out of curiosity, what are some of the ways that you promote your novel?
1: Yeah, um, I, 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 one of the things was the publishing Blackdale Canyon was a real lesson for me. Um, you know, I, I assumed and, I, and and I think a lot of people still assumed um, this was 2022. Um, we were just coming out of the the pandemic. Um, I assume that the way that you the, publicized the book was the old school way that you send out, they called arcs, advanced review copies, you send out arcs to a whole bunch of magazines and newspapers and other tastemakers um, in, in order to get book reviews and book coverage. Um, and I had a publicist who sent out, uh, you know, 70 or 80 of these things. That got me exactly nothing. Zero. It was a total the only thing it got me was that some of those people put my book onto eBay. It was a negative uh, and it cost me a lot of money. Um, that is that model is dead. And and I and I need to say that I will never do that again. Um, and uh, and that needs to the word needs to go out to writers. That is not the way to publicize your book. Book coverage has atrophied in, in legacy media. It's just it, other than New York Times, Washington Post and occasional things like Oprah magazine, things like that. Otherwise, it's gone and it's not going to happen unless you are front list um, at a major press um, and you've got you know their top publicist hassling these people 24-7. You as a small person with a with an independent publicist it's not going to happen. Um it's a waste of money. So uh what does work? Um it, it, we're in a new media age. Um people are not getting their information about books from from the New York Times and Washington Post, they're getting them from Facebook and and Instagram, uh TikTok and um and those are advertising mo- uh, mediums. Um and you can for a very reasonable price um you know put your ads for uh uh you know for your book to an audience that's most likely to, you know, if you understand who your target audience is you can target that audience on facebook i also found and this was this is where i sold most of my books um i discovered but purely by chance um uh facebook groups um and like you know and i thought it would be all like literary fictions no what it was was you know um, Marin County which is where I'm from Mill Valley those people were totally fascinated they wanted to hear about this book they were like oh great cool when are you reading when is this going to happen oh i got to get this book right um it that was that's where that's where i sold most of my books um so you know it it, it that it's a new age and you have to really think about uh, there's publicity which is what's called earned media where you're you're going um and you're getting um somebody to write about you for free and then there's um uh then there's marketing which is where you're doing the the, your your it's advertising and the in the way the way the things have shifted out now marketing is much more powerful than publicity and that's the lesson that i learned to my uh, quite expensively um Hmm.
0: do you do in-person events uh bookstore events and talks and that
1: I did, and, and that's been so fun. I, I love that. That was probably the most exciting and fun part of it. Um, and again, it's sort of the you know news you can use kind of stuff. Um, you know, f- figuring out how to get into a bookstore. A bookstores, you know, they're running a business. They need to be certain that um, they are going people are going to show up because it's expensive for them. Um, to order in all the books blah 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 it's, it's expensive um so uh so you have to really and what i did what i figured out really early on was the in conversation mode where i would have a friend i have a lot of writer friends in a lot of different cities um and i would have them often they had the contact of the bookstore um and they would contact them and then um and this is a lot of work for them and i'm you know, part of it is I will do it for somebody else down the line. Um, But then they'll read the book and we'll have a conversation. And that's a much more entertaining way of doing it. It also guarantees um, those people are, have a higher profile than I do. They can bring in their audience. And then I always did it in places where I knew that I had a core group of people who would show up and then they were, then they were aghast. I had a, I had a, a, a book event uh, near my hometown, that it was like 100 people there. The wow. signing line took like a, half an hour. Um, it was so fun. Um, and all these people that I hadn't seen for years, and then people I didn't know at all. Um, it was really exciting. It was fun.
0: Yeah, I, I find that interesting what you said about the geographic angle of the Facebook groups, because that's something I wouldn't have thought about. You know, we tend to think, you know, oh, I wrote a crime novel, so let me go look for the Facebook groups that like crime novels, but I hadn't thought about the geographic. I'll, I'll have to see if there's well, as I said I in Ohio.
1: I, I, discovered <laughs> that, I discovered that completely. Um, you know, falling in backwards it was I did I started doing that because I was doing readings. Um and I figured, well, that's the way to reach people who are geographically right but it turned out that was a really good because people there really wanted to hear about it it wasn't like oh my god this is self-promoting his damn book again it was it was like oh really cool i don't know you but this sounds like a really interesting book Mm -hmm. um sounds like fun yeah
0: it's it's i think when it comes to book marketing it is so much um it's a work in progress sometimes it is such a learning thing i learn so much Well, when I interview authors on the podcast, when I talk to other authors, even at book events, you know, you, you learn what's working for them. It might work for you. It might not, depending on, on what their book is. But um, like you said, the old school model, just, that just isn't, uh, that doesn't work anymore. And it's. it's Yeah.
1: And, and, and there's still a lot of people still doing that. And I think it's, it, it the word needs to get get out that that is not a way to do business it doesn't work um except in very rare cases i think that they you know i think that you know writers now um it's it's not like we're idiots it's that the world is really changing the way book publicity and book marketing is changing radically um and and, um, and it's continuing to change and so we're all kind of figuring it out And I don't think it's like, you know, they're figuring it out at, at, at big publishers too. You know, they have this whole, you know, uh, part of the office. That's the publicity office, right. That's built for a world that is slowly but surely ceasing to exist. And they're having to, to shift and change the way they do business. And I think they're wasting a lot of time and energy, um, trying to get, you know, uh, somebody to write about their, their people. And it just, it's just not happening mm-hmm. um there's no and they're you know when i i just finished writing a doing a piece about book tours um it's going to come out in the uh march issue um and i talked to a lot of publicists and it's clear you know they've they're not these are not stupid people they have figured it out but it is definitely a work in progress
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and they are figuring out how to revamp what they do mm-hmm. um
0: and I like your idea, too, of collaborating with other authors. It's funny. I, I was talking to a, an author friend of mine who lives down in um, Albuquerque, and we were kicking around the idea. She she likes doing a lot of online virtual events. I'm old school where I love to go in and talk to people. So I said, hey, you know, depending on how the summer goes, the upcoming summer goes, I said, I'll come down to Albuquerque and let's set up some joint events. And because she's like you said the person who lives there has the contact, she can bring people in, but we would basically be sort of doing mini interviews with each other, which which I think is more interesting. I you know, I feel sorry for the writers uh, there there was an author on I think on Facebook or on Thread something where she was, she would schedule, she had a children's book, and she would schedule readings and then be crushed when nobody came. Well, you know, readings are, that, that's kind of a shot in the dark. Maybe they'll come, maybe they won't. You don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like you've got to make something a little more entertaining, a little, and especially if you've got a contact in that area, if you're moving outside of your geographic area which I'm in Northeast Ohio, so I know nobody in Albuquerque, but you know, it's like, I just think it would be interesting because the two of you are talking and then if the audience wants to join in or one of the booksellers, you know, kind of comes in there to sort of fill in the group and starts asking questions then it's, it's cool. And if one person's a little uncomfortable with the in-person stuff, it sort of eases them into it.
1: Well, I think that you really, you know, to make a book event work, um, you know, I, I think you really have to think of it as an event um, and that that people are going to come to and they need to be entertained because it, it's, you know, the, the part of the book event where, in which the author reads from the book is the least interesting part. I, I felt that as an audience member. I, I, I just find that really an uninteresting interface, right? It's just not a great way to read it, to hear a book. I, I, and somebody who loves audio. Um, but but not the person standing there reading a book. So I keep that really short. Mm-hmm. You know, the shortest bit that I can read that makes some logical sense um, and gives some flavor of the book, really short. Um, and then, yeah, and then I think so much of it is in the, the planning. And this is where the Facebook groups came in. And, you know, the most recent one I did was, again, I went back to my hometown and it was my high school reunion. Um, and it occurred to me, um, that I, you know, a whole bunch of people that I went to high school with are going to be in town, um, all at once and are going to be wanting to do events. And so I, with the group that was putting together the, the, the reunion, I got it on their website. I pitched the bookstore on it. They were like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Um, and again, it was a really, really successful event, but I thought about it as like, you know, as a business proposition. Like, how am I going to get people, you know, what can I do to get people in? And if there's not, if I can't think of a good way to get people to come, I'm not going to do it because yeah, it's going to be three people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I don't want to do that. How awful. Yeah. And the Bookstore isn't going to be happy about it either. And I don't blame them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I always like to end in my interview and I had like way more questions, but we're running out <laughs> of time, but I always like to end and the interview with the same question because I love hearing the answers that I get, and my question is, how do you define success as a writer? What makes you feel successful as a writer?
1: Well, that's a good question, um, uh, and I think it's really shifted for me um, uh, over the years. Uh, probably as for a lot of people, um, initially I would have defined success as a writer as you know being successful, You're writing a best-selling novel. Um, and I'd still, you know, not like I'm, you know, turning that down. I mean, if somebody wants to, if I ever do that, that's great. Um, but what, but it's becoming increasingly clear to me that that's a really, really unlikely um, scenario. And that if I'm hanging my success as a writer on that, I'm going to be a sense myself as a failure. And what now matters to me as a writer is, um, is that thing where I was talking about earlier, where um a moment you know i i had that click right where i realized i've done something successfully um and i just finished writing a second book um and i feel very successful about it i have no idea what's going to end up happening with it i mean one of the things i've learned over time much to my chagrin is that i have no idea whether my books are any good right i'm not a good judge of my own work i think it's terrific but you know who knows But what I, the thing is that I feel like I set myself a task. I wanted to do this kind of something different than I did with Blacktail Canyon. And it, it worked. It went, you know, and the and the kind of, there's a, there's a logic to the way the story works. And that's enormously satisfying. Um, I learned from my dad. My dad was, he's now passed, but he, um, he was a scientist. Um, He had a lot of success as a scientist. But his whole thing was, you find your your joy, you find your happiness in the work, right? And if you're not getting it from the work itself, you're just going to be disappointed. Um, and it took me an extraordinarily long time to figure that out and to see the wisdom in that. I mean, I could hear the wisdom in it, but I didn't feel it. Um, and now, you know, uh, in my 50s, I do feel that. Like that's where the joy is, is in the work. And so that's what, you know, and I, I you know, uh, and forgiving yourself when it doesn't work. Right. And recognizing that you get another shot.
0: Right. Right. Well, listen, I've really enjoyed having you on the show and I wish you the very best of luck with the Thank next you. novel. It sounds like it's going to be a, a, a good source of joy for you because you're happy. Yeah, let's, 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 it hope it's,
1: let's hope it's a source of joy for other folks, too. But, yeah, it's been a pleasure <laughs> for me.
0: super well thanks again for being on the show and thanks to everyone who's joined us here at living the writing life